Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Bobby mentioned it's only been a week since Easter. It, for me, it feels like an eternity. This message I'm delivering this morning is the 11th sermon I'm giving in one week. It's been a whirlwind week, and I am really tired, but you know, The sense of weariness I feel in me doesn't only come from exertion over the last week, but from the realization that for all the good I've done this week, I've also been very clearly reminded in the last seven days how much bad still remains in me. And I want to lead us before we hear the word or before I preach it to have a time of repentance. I think it's very important we do that together as a church because it is when our hearts are cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ that His Word actually helps transform us. So would you join me as I lead us in a time of repentance? And if you can identify with the things I'm saying, join your hearts with mine as we pray to God. Holy God, we come to you this morning without defensiveness and with no pretense or illusion. We acknowledge before you this morning that we are sinful people. And we sin even without excuse. Even though so much has been given to us, we sin because we love ourselves. Because we forget you. And we pray, God, that you would convict our hearts. That for all the good that we do, so much ill still remains in our hearts. And I personally come to you, God, admitting my frailties and my wickedness. Lord, I pray this morning that you would wash over our church with the fresh conviction of our need for a Savior and our need for forgiveness. Father, you told us in Scripture that we are liars if we claim to be without sin. So in honesty, we come before you this morning saying that we have done wrong. had some very wicked thoughts. We've done things with our hands and we've spoken words with our mouths. We've hated others and judged them in our hearts. There is so much in us that needs cleansing. And so this morning, we declare that we will not do penance because Jesus, you bore the punishment on your own shoulders. And we will not set out to do good things to erase the bad things, for we will never be good enough in your sight. But this morning, we trust only in the mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ, which promises to cleanse us and make us as white as snow. So together as a church family, we repent. We have faith and we receive your forgiveness free of charge. And we call it good news because you're the one who makes us clean. And with hearts and hands that are washed, help us now to hear your word, humbled, broken, the heart bent towards obedience. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us, the confidence you bring to our lives. We love you so much. We're so grateful in our hearts.
This morning, I have a very short time to preach, which is good because I've got very few notes here. Um, when I was 17, for the first time in my life, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was an idiot. I didn't know what I was doing. I was confused, but I knew one thing. It was the most significant event that had ever happened in my life. And a lot did change. But if I'm honest about those early years of my Christian life, I've got to tell you that I embarked on a wild roller coaster ride, and it was a very strange time in my life. I would go from feeling really close to God to feeling really far from God. It was, it was really a, almost a schizophrenic time in my life. There were days where I would just be in so in love with God, and other days where I would miss the good old days, where I would drink and flirt with girls and just not care about anything, sleep in, blow off church. I mean, I miss those days sometimes, and I couldn't figure out who I was. A lot did change, but a lot didn't change. And when I look back at the first several years of my Christian life, I would say mainly what happened was God rescued me, and then I found a new subculture. I exchanged my old friends for some new friends, I got really connected to an organization called the church. By the grace of God, I, I dropped some of my very bad habits, got the strength to work on some of the other ones that were more stubborn. But overall, I was pretty much the same guy, and that really confused me. And then I turned 24. And I was living by myself in the city of Atlanta. I was there for grad school. I didn't know a soul in the city. It was the first time in my life that I felt like I was truly by myself. And I don't know what it was about that setting, but something happened to me in Atlanta at the age of 24. Seven years into my Christian journey, something clicked or snapped in me. And I had a revolution in my spiritual life. It was as if at that age, in that place, I made the strange decision to finally take my relationship with God seriously. I'd, I'd had spurts of that before, but this was different. It was enduring. It was holistic. Something at that point in my life clicked, and I just decided, I will follow Jesus Christ. This will no longer be the faith of my fathers. I will begin to follow Jesus as though my whole being depended on it. And I will love him and be faithful to him and obey him in everything that I can. I'm not boasting about anything. I... Something just snapped in me, and it happened. And i, I got to tell you, you know what began to change? For the first seven years of my Christian life, there was this foggy, strange sense of disconnection that I'd lived with. I'd gotten used to it. I would sit in church and feel like I was part of an audience in another religion. Like, the preacher would preach, and I felt like he was describing someone else's life. Experiences and motives and feelings that I knew I was supposed to have, but I really didn't have in any lasting real way. There were times when I was jealous, other times I was angry about that, but most of the time, I just felt kind of distant from the whole thing. An observer or journalist, watching other Christians be Christians. But in Atlanta, when I had that revolution in my life, the greatest thing that happened was, something inside of me started to click together. For the first time in my life as a Christian, I felt like, I know this is going to sound really touchy-feely to some of you, but I felt like I was becoming myself. 
even as I say those words, they're just so foo-foo-y. I, I, I wrestled with, could I say it better? I can't. I, I think that's the only way I could describe to you what happened. I was finally becoming myself. That feeling of disconnection and distant observation vanished. And I felt like this was me now. The sermons I began hearing, I felt like described the whole person that I was. I could identify with those motives and with those feelings and even with the frustrations. Definitely external things changed. I was getting much better grades. My friendships had been kicked up to a whole other level. Some of my really nagging bad habits, my vices, were no longer appetizing to me. So external things were changing. But what was most remarkable was that inside, I felt like someone was turning the focus knob, and I finally got it. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I belong to him. There's nothing else I will ever do with this life. He is mine. I am his. And that is the truest thing I could possibly say about myself. And I got to tell you, it felt awesome to finally, finally become a Christ follower. I was rescued by Jesus for seven years before I became a follower truly of Jesus Christ. It revolutionized my life. I'm going to read a familiar text. I'm going to make two very quick, high-impact points. It's going to feel hopefully like a big punch in the temple. Pow! And then we're going to be done. So hang on with me. The text is so familiar. It's Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. Now keep in mind, I'm wrapping up the last message in this series called Reach Across, which is about our relationship with other Christians. But I'm choosing as my text... The Great Commission, which seems odd, which seems like it would belong more in the Reaching Out series. But I think it's relevant for our relationship with our fellow Christians. And I think you'll soon see why. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 simply says this. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it's verse 20 that I really want to emphasize this morning. And teaching them... To obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, most of the time when we think about the Great Commission, we think about a missions mandate. We think about four young students going out to Mexico and Japan to preach the gospel elsewhere. We think about outreach. But the truth is that the Great Commission of Jesus Christ found in Matthew 28 is not so much just about evangelism, but about making disciples, about helping people become followers of Jesus Christ and then propelling them along that journey so that we never forget who we belong to and who we truly are. The experience I had at the age of 24 is what Christianity was always meant to feel like and it's always how it's been propagated. It is one life influencing another life to remember Jesus and live for Him. That is as simple as it gets, and that's what discipleship is. I think it's important to remember that, because discipleship often gets mistaken for some program where I yell at you about your flaws, I praise you for the good things you've done, I set up service opportunities, we memorize lots of verses, we do some Bible study, I tell you who you should marry, and I've discipled you. That's what we think discipleship is. It's become a program of the church. And I guess in our world, that is in some ways a necessity. 
But when Jesus talked about making disciples, I believe he'd be rather shocked by what he finds in the modern church. Because to Jesus, the making of disciples was actually a very organic process. You know what we mean when we say organic. It's not a certain kind of food at at the expensive grocery store. Organic means it's just woven naturally into the fabric of life. You don't always do discipleship when, oh, it's discipleship time. It's five o'clock. We meet for discipleship. That isn't necessarily the way discipleship was supposed to go. But discipleship was one follower of Jesus influencing another one to keep following Jesus. And the opportunities to do that arise dozens of times a day in the natural context of our lives. In verse 20, it's one key phrase that I really want to key in on here, which is teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Did you catch that? And I see two very important aspects of that that command. The first is teach them everything I've commanded. You can't obey what you don't know. And it's so important that we teach one another what Jesus has said. You know, when you think about the way Jesus taught, he taught when life presented opportunities to teach. Look through the gospel sometime and watch how Jesus picks the lesson for the day. A lot of times it's like, guys, you know what the kingdom of God is like? It's like this mustard seed. See this here? Look at the seeds. You could hardly see them. They're so small. But if you have faith as small as one of these mustard seeds, then let me see, let me see. You could tell that mountain over there to move and it will move. Do you know what the kingdom of God is like? It's like this field. Imagine if I told you that buried in this field was an immeasurably valuable treasure. What do you think you would do? Do you know what the the kingdom of God is like? See those guys in those boats that are clearly not fishing boats like ours, but they use them to, to find oysters. And imagine that a guy found an oyster and it was the most valuable oyster you can imagine. Wouldn't he sell everything to get that oyster out of the market? Do you see these plants? They look identical to the naked eye, but one of them's a weed and one of them is good for grain. And you can't tell the difference, but God ultimately can. And that's how people are in the world. Do you see what Jesus was doing? He was constantly teaching about the realities and truths that govern our world, that reveal God. But he was doing it in ways where life just presented those opportunities every single day. I think this is what discipleship is. And it's not done only by leaders to younger people. It is done by every Christian to every other Christian. You know, at the men's retreat over the weekend, we did an interesting exercise where there was a self-reflection time, and I I wrote all these strange scenarios and then had the guys reflect on what would you do in each of those situations. What was most remarkable, though, is when we got the groups together and said, in small groups, talk about what you learned in that exercise. And I, in in a not-so-subtle way, spied on each of the groups. I just wandered around and I eavesdropped on these groups. And the one thing I was amazed at is how much wisdom collectively resides in this church. I was amazed at how unnecessary I am. Because ultimately, you guys know what God wants from you. You know how to talk to each other about what God says to us. And I I found that so comforting. I believe it is entirely possible for the people of this church to disciple one another in the natural, organic way that Christ intended of saying, look, here's a situation in your life. You know those situations in life that drive us to seek others out? 
that force us into situations where we need encouragement or support or advice. And so we meet at the Starbucks and say, can I talk to you about something? Those kinds of situations in life are God's opportunities for us to disciple one another. And we need to tell each other what's what. Now, here's why I'm I'm, I'm emphasizing that. I think what should happen when we gather together for encouragement and support is not so much advice giving. I think too much is made of advice giving. I hear so much advice being thrown about, and I think most of it is really not great advice. Whenever we're just telling each other what I would do in that situation, what any human being would do, we're usually wasting our breath. The most valuable thing we can do as Christians for one another is to say, that's an interesting situation. I totally get where you are. You know what God's word has to say to you about that? I think that is such an important thing that we need to start doing more of in the church. Do you know why I think people seek me out? Because I don't just give advice. I give the word of God. And every one of us can do that. You get sick and tired after a while of hearing everybody's opinion. What you want to know is, what am I supposed to do? What is the authoritative direction for me? I don't want to do what you would do. I want to do what I'm supposed to do. What will produce the result that I'm supposed to get? What should I do? And it is only when we give the word of God to one another that we actually bless each other with good advice. I would love for us to be so committed to understanding the word of God and speaking it into each other's lives that when we're meeting meeting in the Starbucks or in the workplaces or in the parks talking to one another, what we're actually saying to each other is what God would say to us if we could hear him. You know, when you give advice that comes from God's word, there's a great deal of confidence behind that advice. You know, you might give somebody advice and be really confident in it until they say, okay, I hope you know what you're doing because I'm staking everything on what you just said. Are you sure that's what I'm supposed to do? It's when they ask you that backup question, you're like, well, on second thought, I don't know if you should do what I say. I mean, it's good advice for me, but I don't know if I want you to put your whole life on what I just said. Isn't it interesting that when someone challenges you and says, is this the final word? Is that your final answer? You know, like when they ask us that, and we're like, well, we start second guessing ourselves. But when the word of God has put the words in our mouth, it's remarkable with how much confidence we can say, yes, that's what you should do. Without a doubt in my mind, without any hint of apology or hesitation, that is what you should do. You know, my, my coworker did this to me, and I, it really ticked me off, and I feel like I'm supposed to kill him. What should I do? You should forgive him. Are you sure that's what I'm supposed to do? I mean, because this guy's a real jerk. He's going to go on and, and, and mess around with other people's lives. Shouldn't I just kill him a little bit? No, you should forgive him. Are you sure? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I am sure beyond any shadow of doubt that that is what you're supposed to do. I know that it runs against the grain of your nature. I know it's totally the opposite of what you want to do right now. I know that from your vantage point, it doesn't seem like it's going to do any good. But I have no doubt in my mind that is what you're supposed to do. This is the kind of advice we should be giving in the church. We shouldn't just be showing people what we think, but we should be blessing one another with what God has already said to us about these things. Now, obviously, the corollary to that is, that means we must be committed to studying the Word of God. The 30 or so men who came to the men's retreat heard a stern challenge about that yesterday afternoon. And I believed them when they said, that in earnest, they intend 
to study the Word of God. The strength of our church is not found in how many opinions we have. It is found in how much the Word of God has sunk deep into the marrow of our bones. If you don't know the Word of God, can I say with all the love in my heart, you don't know Jack. What's the word these days? You don't know squat. You don't know anything worth knowing if you don't know the Word of God. And I want to really encourage you to pick up the Word of God and read it. I think you will be amazed what joy comes to your life, what confidence, what peace, when you finally sit down and take it and read. I wasn't surprised to discover that the vast majority of the men at our retreat hate reading. I don't know why. Guys just don't like reading. Some guys do. A lot of guys don't. There are some things you can afford not to read and some things you can't. Whenever a letter comes to you from the IRS or the federal government, you kind of got to read it, even though you don't like reading mail. I think the Bible is like that. It is not an optional read. It is our life. It is our life. Please read your Bible. How's that for an unoriginal sermon point? Would you just please read your Bible and then tell each other what God has said? You know where this is headed? The other part of that command is teach them not just to know, but to obey everything that I've commanded. You know, at first blush, the phrase expert of the law sounds like a compliment. Hey, dude, you're like an expert in the law, man. That's awesome. Jesus never said it in a flattering way. He would always say, you experts. And I, I imagine, I don't know why, but I always picture Jesus doing this, you know, the air quotes, when he said, you experts in the law. Because you have filled your heads with so much law, yet your whole lives are illegal. You've missed the point. You know so much, you do so little. You call yourself experts mainly because of what resides in your brain, but your hands and feet don't belong to the God you know so much about. What is the point of knowing so much and doing so little? Do you know, I think a lot of people today could possibly be in danger of the same indictment. You love learning, but you don't love doing. And that's why I think God wants us to turn the corner. At the age of 24, that's the main transformation that happened in my life, is I began to take seriously the call to obedience. I had obeyed God before, but never at the holistic level of commitment that he led me to back in those days. It was a marvelous time. I I just remember thinking, in every possible way, I want to align my life around what God has said. It was like a grand adventure or an experiment to see, if I make my life the way God tells me it should be, what will I feel like? How will life work? And can I tell you something? It worked. Life was great. It felt the way it's supposed to feel. I actually felt like, hey, this is what it's supposed to be like all along. I'm not saying that everything went my way. I'm saying life made sense. And it clicked, really, for the first time. I, I created, through obedience, a life in the pattern of Jesus. And I experienced the life of Jesus. That year, that same year, I received my ministry calling. I don't think there's a coincidence there. I mean, about eight months after this revolution in my spiritual life, God said, psst, I think you should just drop everything and become my slave. And I said, okay, I'll do it. You know, the two go hand in hand. Please understand, this is not me 
boasting. It's me begging, wishing that God would give you the same experience. Because I can't imagine how frustrated I'd be today if I hadn't had what happened to me in Atlanta. If I was still moping about in that disconnected haze, feeling like I'm in somebody else's church, following somebody else's religion, reading somebody else's Bible. And all the while, there are too many inconsistencies between what I'm actually doing and what God says my life is supposed to be like. I don't think I could keep up the charade this long. I think I'd be an atheist or Buddhist by now, just out of sheer frustration. And I'm so thankful for that revolution in my spiritual life. You know, when we sit around for Bible studies, sometimes what we do is sit in somebody's living room and talk for 45 minutes about what do you think it means? I don't think that's always the most important question. Because the truth is, God's word speaks rather plainly. The meaning is actually pretty obvious in most cases. Our problem, our barrier is not one of understanding quite so much as it's one of obedience and will. The majority of us know what God wants. Our problem is doing what God wants, isn't it? Can we just be honest about that? How many of you guys sin honestly in total ignorance? Dang, I just, if somebody told me that was a no-no, I wouldn't have done it. My problem is obedience, not ignorance, 90% of the time. Something in me doesn't want to obey God. I don't get that. But it is when we overcome this barrier of obedience that we start to experience Christian life. So the more helpful question is not what do you think it means, but having understood what it means... How does my life compare to this picture? What am I going to do about this? God said that those people who follow him should be completely generous in giving out forgiveness. We should not be petty. We should not hold grudges. We shouldn't be, don't touch me kind of people. We should be, I forgive you kind of people. We who follow Jesus should not hoard our money as if tomorrow will come, but spend it like there's no tomorrow investing in things that are eternal. The greatest embarrassment for the Christian is to die with a fortune in the bank and have to face God's question, well, what were you saving it for? Not sure. (laughs) I didn't bring any with me. I'm not sure. You know, the whole point is there are these pictures God paints for the kind of people he wants to raise up. And the important question is not, do you get it? But how are you measuring up to that? And what will we now do about this picture which God has made so clear to us? This is what I wish we could say more, to, in, more of to each other in the coffee shops and in the houses. Say, look, brother, sister, I've listened carefully to your situation. You know I love you and I know you. God's spoken plainly here and he didn't stutter. It's very clear to see what he wants. The question we have to wrestle with together is what are you going to do about what God said? How can I help you? What are you going to do about this? And how can I help you? The essence of discipleship is that we tell each other what God has said. And then we remind each other, you have to actually go and do this now. If you need help doing it, I am there for you. What is not an option is to keep understanding what God wants and live our lives as if it doesn't matter that much. Too much today in the church God's commands are spoken as though they are suggestions. At the end of the day, I shouldn't have to sell you on God's commands, and you should not have to sell me. If God is God, his speaking it should be enough for us. God said it. 
The only real issue is, what are we going to do about it? Now, I know that obeying God doesn't always come naturally. Here's something that really helped me embrace obedience. Can I share with you? This is a, this is a great thing for you to remember. Excited? Somebody told me this in Atlanta, and I think it sparked the revolution. I said, you know what? God's word is exactly what you would do for yourself if you knew everything that God knows. Isn't that cool? God's word is exactly what you would do for yourself if you knew everything that God knew. From where we sit, God's word sometimes seems ridiculous. Look up here for a second. Tell me honestly, if you were under Joshua's command at the walls of Jericho, 30 feet thick in stone at places, and he said, we're going to march seven times and shout, would you have really done it? Wouldn't you have been totally like, this is so dark, so stupid, march around. I think he's lost it, the heat's gotten to him. Wouldn't you completely poo-poo the idea? But if you knew what God already knew he was going to do in just a little while, you would have marched around the city. If we know everything God knows, we would do everything God says. You've got to learn to trust God. He knows a little bit more than you. It's an amazing concept, but he knows a little more than you. He knows a little more than me. You trust God, you'd be amazed how your life will fall into place. This is one of those messages that is so simple, it could bore you or it could change your life. Which is it going to be? Which is it going to be? I think sometimes during the week as I'm writing my sermons, I try too hard to be cute and clever. Today I went old school. I said, you know what, this is it. This is the heart of discipleship. And when we get together, and when life turns up the heat and we turn to one another, may it be said of the people at Harvest Community Church that we didn't bore each other with hours of our own advice, but we were faithful to speak the word of God to each other and then call each other to do something about what God has said, to obey all that Jesus has commanded us so that it would be well with us. And if you need help doing it, I'll help you. If I need help, better help me. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.